0: we've seen uh, we've we've heard him declare to the church hey persevere in the midst of trials in the midst of persecution we've seen the amazing humility of king jesus becoming the sacrificial lamb and then becoming the reigning lion we've seen wars we've seen pestilence we've seen calamity we've seen the holy spirit sustaining the saints in the midst of their persecution we've seen dragons We've seen beasts, we've seen harlots, we've seen deceivers and liars, and all of those enemies of the Lord who would seek to persecute his church or deceive humanity into believing that their best life is now. We've seen God's mighty hand of justice bring about the end of days. This titanic struggle between the forces of good and evil that we've seen in Revelation almost seems like a modern day movie but it isn't a movie is it if the purpose of revelation was to entertain us let's go ahead and put a script to it and make a movie oh he went there they already did that but that isn't the purpose right sure it can and it should exercise our imagination it should spur us on But if that's the extent that Revelation does for us, there might be something wrong with our hearts. Even the best movie ever made, The Dirty Dozen, (laughs) gets boring if you watch it and only it over and over and over and over again, forcing us to look elsewhere for amusement and entertainment. I know that's hard, it's a great movie, but that's true. So Revelation can't just be about our entertainment. Okay, While the message of Revelation is simple enough, let's face it, it's hard to unpack. All the nuance, all the symbolism can be tricky and confusing and, and somewhat divisive. Because symbols can have multiple interpretations, this final book of the Bible has gone through a lot of scrutiny and nitpicking and just tearing it apart especially in the last couple of centuries in an effort to demystify it in that process the bible but particularly revelation sorry revelation has been turned into some kind of a gps mapping system showing us all the points of interest from point a to point b in sequential order but this approach has some unintended consequences because if Revelation is just a GPS map, a GPS guide, I really only have to pay attention as I approach the end. Everything before starts to lose relevance to me. And it certainly loses relevance to the people who started the journey way before me. This approach also puts us in conflict with what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 44, when he said, You also must be ready For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If Revelation was written so that we can know when to expect Jesus' return, then Jesus just lied in Matthew 24. And since we don't believe that, maybe we need to look at Revelation a little bit differently. I asked Google, when is Jesus coming back? and Google gave me 290 million wrong answers. (laughs) Google should have shrugged and said I don't know, because that would have been truthful. So if Revelation isn't for our entertainment, if it's not a map showing us what to expect, what is the purpose of Revelation? You guys did an amazing job answering this question on that video. So in your words, in your words, The purpose of Revelation is for our perseverance, for our assurance of faith, to fuel us up for the passion of God, to bring us hope that everything wrong with this world will be made right. The purpose of Revelation is to display God's love, his power, his blessing, his sovereignty, to convict our hearts to long to study God's word more, to realign our priorities, to spur us into taking this gospel, this message, to the ends of the earth. So well done, church. You answered very well. The purpose is not to entertain us. It's not some kind of mystery puzzle that we need to unpack and, and solve. And it's certainly not to confuse us. It's certainly not to divide us. Quite the opposite. This book, this vision, is meant to unite us, to gather us together as a body, in one hope, in one future, to give us a blessed assurance. And it says so in the text. Revelation is about our joy in Christ now in anticipation of the fulfillment, the fullness of that joy in the future. Revelation contains seven blessings. And we're going to use those as our text today as we wrap up this study of Revelation. So we're going to be jumping around. I think we have it on the screen. We're going to be jumping around um, throughout many chapters here for these seven. Um, but I would invite you to stand with me as we read our text at Timberline. We stand at the reading of God, God's word because we believe it comes with his full authority and it has the power to convict us, encourage us, and teach us. Let be hopping around here. We're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. 16.15 Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. 19.9 And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 20 verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. 22 7. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy, of this book. 22, 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you so much for your scripture, for your word. Thank you that you have breathed your spirit into your word, and it is living and breathing and it has your authority and it has your power and it can transform lives. Father, as we discuss these blessings and we look forward to our our full joy in you, I pray that you would remove all distractions from this room. I pray that your spirit would enter and convict our hearts and minds and give us clarity. Father, I pray that you would Work through my weaknesses to bring you glory and no one else. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before we dig into these blessings, ask yourself, what does to bless mean? It seems like sort of an archaic concept And yet many young men will still go to their future father-in-law and ask for his blessing, which extends beyond just permission or approval, but it includes the idea of goodwill and intent. When people leave a church for deployment or a move or ministry, often the congregation will, will gather around them and lay hands on them and pray for them and bless them as a means of sending them out. So the idea, the concept, might not be as archaic as we might think. A blessing is to speak out loud a future destiny or goodness. It's also the fulfillment of that announcement or endowment, whether materials or glory or fame or otherwise. Blessings are life-giving declarations intended to make the recipient flourish or be glorified. The first recorded blessing is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God blesses his created image, both male and female, and the blessing was fourfold. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Clearly that blessing has been carried out through the ages and is not contingent on obedience to God. Then several chapters later in Genesis, and hundreds of years later, we get the Abrahamic blessings. In Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abram, before his name change, that I will bless you and make you a blessing to all families, make you into a great nation, showing that, the, that being blessed carries with it the responsibility and the expectation of that blessing being shared and being extended. Here we see blessing focused on just one man and his family instead of all of creation, like we read in in the first part of Genesis. Then in Deuteronomy, chapter 7, we see that this blessing extended to the nation of Israel, a nation that arose because of God's blessing to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, and also to Abraham, make you into a great nation. Scripture also shows us where the idea of blessing gets reflected back to God. Blessed be your name. We see this in Psalm 16, Psalm 34, Psalm 103. Blessing is also used to convey commendation for behavior, for good works, such as in Psalm 1, Proverbs 3, James 1. Then, of course, we see how blessing is used to qualify kingdom people in Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes. Some of these blessings that Jesus mentions in chapter 5 of Matthew are immediate. But most of them are future blessings, or pronouncements of what is to come. Let's read them, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These kingdom descriptions... These kingdom blessings describe the culture and hope of the people of God. And many of these themes are reflected in Revelation. In Matthew 5, these blessings are a spiritual blessings for a a real eternity that will include both spiritual and physical, unlike the Israel blessings, which were pretty much purely physical. But we receive these blessings from Jesus with the same intent. You are blessed... To be a blessing. You are blessed so that you can share that blessing. Blessings are meant to be shared and declared. Which brings us back to Revelation. What is the purpose of Revelation? Today we're going to look at how one of the purposes at least, one of my favorites is, the purpose of Revelation is to bless us. Seven times in Revelation we are blessed. And I've grouped them more or less by theme. So it's not going to be in sequential order. The first one is heed this message. And that's heed as in pay attention, obey, listen, not heed the Scottish word for head. That movie reference probably sold over most of your heeds. (laughs) It's okay. I'll explain it to you later. Revelation 1:3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. 2:2:7, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy, of this book. Revelation begins and ends with blessing. Not entertainment, not a how-to guide to predicting the end of the world. We start with a vision of the glorified, resurrected Jesus holding the keys of death and Hades, and we end with a vision of the new heavens and the new earth and our glorified, perfect eternity with God. And it's amazing. It's awesome. We are blessed when we read this book because it is not ordinary. There's nothing ordinary or mundane about this book. We are blessed because it is the inspired word of God. We are blessed when we read this book aloud. We are blessed when we hear this book. We are blessed when we do these things because other people will hear around us. We are blessed because it changes our hearts. Because the message is God reigns, his judgment is coming, and we can persevere knowing that one day we will reign with King Jesus. This book stirs our imaginations, it stirs our hearts, it stirs our motivations. It's impossible to read this and not have it affect you. It's so unique and so different, and yet it's perfectly in line with the rest of God's scripture. The contents, the themes, the hope, the gospel. The message exists to challenge and change the way we live. To change our priorities to fill us with zeal to change our perspectives it's meant to draw us into a dependence of the holy spirit for strength through perseverance it's not meant to confuse us it's definitely not meant to divide us it's not reserved for the scholars or the deep thinkers or the seminarians, there is so much stigma, confusion, and even fear surrounding revelation that many churches won't even touch it. Which is sad. What a travesty. Why would you deny yourself this glorious message about our hope and our future and King Jesus? Why would you rob the people of this glorious vision of? of our King and our Savior. We must read this book. We must declare it out loud. We must share it with the world around us because when we do, we and they will be blessed. While this book is extraordinary, the message in Revelation is applicable and meant for everyone. No exclusions. These visions are meant to inform and encourage, to rebuke us that we might be transformed into the image of our king. Revelation is about our joy in Christ now from reading this message. If you're not receiving joy when you open Revelation, minus the scary parts, there might be something wrong. Our king reigns. When we read those words, our joy should be filled up. In anticipation of the fullness of that joy when he returns. So how do we keep this word? How do we obey it? How How do we heed this message in obedience? What does that look like? Well, it looks like vigilance, our second point. Be ever vigilant. Paul was awesome up there. Be ready. He's outside. He didn't even hear that. 16, verse 15, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Mind you, these aren't the garments Chris Gorman was referring to in the video. Actually, I can't say that for certain because I have no idea what Chris was talking about. So it might have been. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be reading a fairly lengthy passage. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is teaching his disciples about the end of days. And he says, beginning in verse 36. Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the sun You do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The one who stays awake knows that Jesus is coming, and longs for that day as evidenced by their lifestyle by their preparedness of heart and by their priorities this isn't about magic underwear which would be kinda cool we can talk about that later seriously I have no idea where he went on that this isn't about magic underwear but literally about us putting on Christ. Romans 12, 1, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When Christ returns, or we meet death and face him, what are you going to present to him? Are you going to present your good works? Are you going to present to him your social justice endeavors? Are you going to show him your resume? Your college degrees? Your years of experience in children's church? Or are you going to show him Jesus in you? Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Why do we study Revelation? Because the message is, be vigilant and ready. Live according to the grace that you have received in Christ Jesus. In chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, all seven churches are told to overcome. Only two are living according to this grace that they have received. The other five have been compromising. But even the two that aren't compromising, even the two that have nothing but praise from Jesus, are still told, overcome. Be ready. Be vigilant. Otherwise, you will be found as a fraud you'll be found naked and ashamed just like in the garden they hid from God not because they did anything wrong it literally says they hid because they were naked and ashamed why do we study Revelation to persevere to be vigilant James 1 reinforces the eternal blessings for those who persevere but then in verse 25 it says the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearers who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing we are blessed in the process of overcoming we are blessed in the process of persevering. There is blessing now for sure, but there is blessing, a future blessing, that far outweighs anything that we go through right now. There is blessing that would make the suffering, the worst imaginable suffering that you could experience now, just become so insignificant and pale in comparison. That's why we read Revelation. But that future, that future can sometimes feel like it's really far away. So we have to exercise something called delayed gratification. That's something the that young people absolutely hate. Some of the older people too. I don't, I don't like that word. So we put on Christ to be ready. Don't be exposed as a fraud. The assurance of our salvation is in our vigilance. It's in our readiness. Are you ready? What are you going to present to King Jesus? So what is the reward for this obedience? The rest of the blessings show us the hope we have in the future, whether by our death now or when Jesus returns. And these, these blessings encourage us to press on our third point. 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. This first resurrection, as Pastor Nick preached uh, several weeks ago, could refer to either the regeneration we experience now as the Spirit breathes new life into us, or it could be meaning those who perish now and are with Christ in heaven now. Either way, the message doesn't change. The point is, the presence of of Christ Christians are blessed who die in the Lord why that sounds weird because death brings rest from the fight against the dragon the beast the harlot the deceivers the de- the liars the aches and pains of this world the heartaches the broken relationships the illnesses the sicknesses the battles the wars the injustice death brings the fight to a close It ends the conflict, the fight we have been fighting against sin and death in our own lives, but also experiencing the consequences of other people's sin around us. Nobody lives in a bubble. Your sin affects those people around you. Death for the believer is peace and the presence of God, which means we shouldn't fear death. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 50. Very famous passage. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Is anybody in here flesh and blood? You should all 100% raise your hands. I don't know what the confusion is here. You are all flesh and blood. A lot of hands still down. We'll talk later. (laughs) I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Anybody in here feeling like you're kind of slowly perishing? Still with the hands, people. (laughs) Behold, I tell you a mystery... when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, sorry, O death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I love the therefores in the scripture. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What would in vain labor look like? when it's absent of the Lord your labor is not in vain your deeds follow you they're remembered by the Lord during the second great awakening late 1700s 1800s the call to take this gospel to the ends of the earth sparked a revival that spread like a wildfire across England and the very young United States and these countries in particular started sending out missionaries, just streaming out missionaries across the, gro- across the globe. Now these pioneer missionaries faced immense hardships just in their travels, everything was by ship, in foreign diseases, and in hostile locals wherever they went. The life expectancy of a missionary to Africa during this era it was about 24 months. Let that sink in for a second. That was the life expectancy. This reality prompted many of these young missionaries to ship their belongings in their own coffin because they knew they were facing certain death. Think about that for a second. These pioneer missionaries had such a clear vision of the glorious, resurrected Jesus that we see in Revelation chapter 1, that they counted everything else in this life as loss compared to the immeasurable glory of following their king. To live is Christ, to die is gain. They knew the gain, and they longed for it. That gain diminished everything else that could get in their way. It made them obedient to the point of death. Why? Because death was no longer a consequence, but a doorway into the presence of their king. So press on, church. Press on. Jesus said the cost for following him was taking up your own cross. The cross was a symbol of death. So following Jesus automatically puts you into that category of, yep, I'm going to die for this. I'm willing to die for this. And I will follow in spite of that threat. Why do we study Revelation? But because, because it reveals our joy in Christ now in anticipation of the fullness of that joy in the future. That joy, that, that insurmountable joy diminishes the sting of death, it diminishes the fear of death, and it propels us forward to however and wherever the Lord calls us to serve. That's why we study Revelation. Why is death no longer to be feared? Our last two blessings tell us death will usher us into glory. We enter glory. Your handouts have a typo. It should be 2214, not 226 or something. The admin was asleep this week. That slacker. I'm the admin in case you didn't get that joke. 22, 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. 19, verse 9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Either in death or the return of King Jesus, those who have been invited to this marriage supper will enter through the gates. Their invitation will be their robes that have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, made pure and clean and spotless, without wrinkle, without blemish. That is their invitation at the gate. We read that in Revelation 18.8 and in 7.17. These are those who have trusted in Christ and persevered in their faith. They have rejected the lies and the deceptions of the dragon, the beast, his minions. They have rejected the lie that your best life is now. They have been purified and transformed into the image of King Jesus, holy and glorious and perfect. In Genesis man had access to the tree of life. It was there in the garden, but man rejected the life giver, God, and that access was revoked, but those who heed this message, those who stay ever vigilant, those who press on and enter glory have access to this tree. It is restored, it is given back, and it will never again be revoked. To be invited to the wedding supper is to experience the joy of Christ instead of the wrath of Christ. Those are the only two options. The wedding supper is the new creation. It's where the entire Bible has been pointing us towards from cover to cover, from cover to cover, and it's meant for us to long for and to pursue and to just be captivated by this idea of perfection with Christ. By faith in Christ now, right now, we enter into this joy. But the final consummation, the final apex of this joy is seen in these final two blessings. Why do we need to study Revelation? Because it's about the church being blessed now in the hope of entering into the fullness of that blessing in the future. It's about living for the joy of Christ now in anticipation of being with him forever. It's about knowing our best life isn't now. There's nothing best about this. We have moments of of happiness. We have moments of calm. We have moments that are absent of conflict, absent of illness, absent of hardship. But those moments are just little blips. And then they fade. And then something comes up. Our kid gets sick. Car wreck. Illness in the family. Death in the family. Loss of a job. Our joy, our focus is not on making this life all it can be. Our joy and our focus is sharing this gospel to rescue them from that wrath so that they too can be invited to this supper, to this celebration, to this new world. Be blessed, church read this message read revelation read it to yourself read it to your children read it out loud because it's contagious and it's amazing and it's life giving and life transforming let it fuel you let it change you let it launch you forward in obedience let it unite us in joy now and for the future Let it remind us to pray for those who are being persecuted across this globe because of the name of Jesus Christ. People experiencing horrific hardship and persecution. It's it's happening now. It's happening in this very moment. We just don't always hear about it. Let it move our hearts towards the lost. Let Let it give us just this magnificent assurance that we belong to him. Fanny Crosby, the famous hymn writer who was blind, by the way. I didn't know that. She was blind. She wrote about 8,000 hymns. She declared it well when she wrote, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I, in my savior, am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my savior. All the day long. Heed this message, church. Be ever vigilant. Press on and enter glory. Let's pray.